welcome back to the show. Our guest today is Claire Russell, who's the founder of Mental Health in Business, which provides in-person and online mental health training, as well as one-to-one coaching and resilience toolkits for men, women and home workers. I think we can all agree there's not a day that goes by without a conversation around mental health in the workplace, so I'm really glad that we've got Claire on the show. She gives us some fantastic practical tips that you can use about creating that psychological safety, that culture at work that promotes good mental health. So please keep listening. Claire, it's absolutely brilliant to have you um, as a guest on our Mind Your Peas podcast. How, how are you doing? I am really good, thank you. Yeah, really good. It's um, it's really good to get the chance to come and have a chat with you on here. So yeah, all good. And where are you talking to us from today? I am in my office at home, so I work at home most of the time and did long before the pandemic actually, so um, it was no big change for me, um, here in rugby, so tucked away in the nice peace and quiet of my office. Oh, lovely, lovely. And um, you were telling me that it's absolutely freezing where you are before we came on the call. It's It's absolutely freezing. I can't believe it. I, I I got dressed this morning for summer with a summer dress on and I've ended up going and getting changed and putting a jumper on and putting the heating back on. It's absolutely freezing. <laughs> crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. I know, yeah. I know. So so listen, tell us a bit about um mental health and business is your is your business, but it's not always been. So t- tell us a bit about why you're here today and why mental health and business. Yeah, absolutely. So Uh, I started mental health in business about four years ago Um, and before that I was an insurance broker for a long time, 25 years. I started out in the insurance industry straight from school, um, didn't really know what else I wanted to do and and ended up in a job in an insurance brokerage and and fell in love with it and and I was, I, I mean, how you can fall in love with um, the world of insurance, I, I don't know, but lots of people seem to. So um, I had a great career, a really great career, and I started my own business when I was really young. I was 20 when I started my first brokerage and ran that for a very long time, really successfully, um, loved it, loved being a business owner and, um, you know, everything about it really had a, had a really, um, a really sort of good decade or so running that business. And then I sold it. Uh, to a, a very large insurance business who approached me and wanted to buy the business and, and in the end I got talked into it and um, that kind of led me to quite a big change really I went from running quite a small business to then uh, being a very senior decision maker in a really big business so it was a massive sea change and it and it brought a lot of stress with it as well um, and I did that role for a few years. Then I did another similar role. And then in that second role, I ended up having a breakdown. And that having that experience of mental illness was a just massively eye-opening experience for me because until that point, I always thought I was someone who didn't, didn't have stress. You know, I didn't experience stress. I, I, I remember one, at one time saying to a friend of mine, I'm not the kind of person that would ever experience mental illness. Um, and, I, you know, I didn't mean anything negative by that. I just didn't think I was, you know. I thought I was really resilient and really strong. And then um, suddenly I found myself having a breakdown. Um, and so it really opened my eyes to my own vulnerability. And it also opened my eyes to what a lot of people around me 
must have been experiencing as well. So um, that kind of led me. I took some time out of the industry for a couple of years and I went and retrained as a coach, uh, as a mental health trainer, as a suicide prevention educator and also as a listening volunteer with the Samaritans. And that was kind of the the beginning of me then kind of moving in, into doing the work that we now do in our business. Wow. And 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 that that stress and that that breakdown, Claire. I mean, how how did it manifest itself? Was it physical? Was it was it in your mind? What what was it? Yeah, that's a great question, Caroline. So, you know, it, it didn't just happen overnight. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, I can look back and I can see that it was something that happened cumulatively over a number of years, probably three or four years, um, during which time I was, the level of stress that I was working in, um, the, the conditions that I was working in, um, was, you know, it was really high stress and that was persistent, that was just all the time. And and I can see that, first of all, anxiety started creeping in. Um, and that anxiety, you know, started relatively low level, but, but, but became very, very acute and really quite debilitating. And I ended up having horrendous, um, very, very acute panic attacks. Um, and the, I mean, the most, uh, the most notable of which um, happened uh, on the M6. So I was driving um, my I was driving into work um, during rush hour and I had a really acute panic episode in the car and I stopped my car in the middle of the M6 um, in rush hour. Um, and it was, I mean, I, I didn't have any idea what was going on. I was, you know, I just wasn't with it at all and ended up being moved by the police and all sorts. So, you know, anxiety was creeping in first of all, probably over about two years. And then, then depression started to creep in alongside that. Um, and what I found was I was masking it, you know, I was trying to hide it from people. Um, I held a very senior role in the business. I didn't want people to know that I wasn't well, that I wasn't coping. So I hid it and I masked it every way that I could. Um, drinking a lot more alcohol than was normal for me. Um, that was one of my ways of masking it because, you know, I'm sure you're aware the insurance industry is well known for its social aspect there's a lot of drinking goes on and so that was a great way for me to mask it you know I would get out with people and, and you know drink alcohol and it kind of changes how you feel in the moment at least um, and it just all built up and then one day um, I just completely snapped and just you know it, it, it was pretty that kind of me hitting rock bottom kind of really did happen just what on one day um, and I, I I don't remember anything that happened before this but um, I must have been making my way to work and I have no recollection of that journey um, and the first thing that I remember is I was standing in New Street Station in Birmingham uh, on a train platform um, I should have been in the office by this point and I hadn't made it to the office and and I was looking at a train coming towards me and I, I just remember having the thought if I step in front of this train I won't feel like this anymore and it was a, a split second that I had that thought you know I'd never had anything like that before and it was a split second and that was kind of me snapping and I realized you know that I'd had that thought and 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 I 
I, I called somebody and said, look, I, I don't feel safe. You know, I, I need, I need somebody to come and get me. And, and that was it. Then I just, I just completely fell apart. And, and that was, that was the kind of real rock bottom moment for me. Wow. And, and what, what happened then, Claire? How, how did you, how did you kind of, I suppose, fight back, come back to where you are now? Well, I knew that I needed some time off. I knew I needed time out and time away from work. I ended up walking away from the role that I was in. Um, and, uh, and effectively, at, at that point, walking away from my career because um, I couldn't see at that point any way of going back. Um, so I, I walked away um, and I had, I think it was probably about 18 months in total um, that I didn't work. And during that time, I got therapy. Um, I was working really closely with my GP, who was incredible. Uh, I was on medication. I was having all different forms of, of therapy. And then I, during that time, probably about six months in, I uh, I'd always wanted to volunteer with the Samaritans. It was something that I'd wanted to do since I was a little girl. And I decided I would use this time where I wasn't working to, to, to do that. So I, I, I went and enrolled with Samaritans for their training program, did the training and then started volunteering as a listening volunteer. And that was a big part of my recovery. I think being able to help others for a lot of people is, um, is really important. And you get a great sense of reward and satisfaction out of doing that. So for me, that was a, it was a big part of that recovery process um so I started doing that and then and then from there I started doing various other forms of training and things that ultimately you know ended up leading me to doing the work that I'm now doing yeah and and, and you feel well now uh, brilliant yeah absolutely um you know I I received during that time I received the diagnosis of severe depression and um generalized anxiety disorder and both of those conditions are there you know um i will have days here and there where anxiety will creep in where i'll, I'll have those familiar feelings come back in um, and similarly i'll have days where i can feel that depression just gnawing away a little bit in the background um and i can you know those familiar feelings of of low mood and depression creep in but I know how to manage those conditions now, you know, I know, I know the signs, I, I know the triggers that I have, and I know the things that will help me if I'm having a bad day. So, you know, it never, it never gets to a, um, a really kind of acute level anymore. You know, it's, I, I'm able to kind of just spot when it's there and reach for one of the many different kind of coping strategies and things that I've got in place now. Yeah, well, I'm, well, I'm glad to hear that you're you're feeling better, and I, I, you know, I suppose just to say thanks, really, thanks for being so open and vulnerable about about where you are, because I think it really, really helps people. Um, and and from your experience, you know, you're you're now teaching, coaching, training hundreds of people across organisations, hundreds of leaders, other managers of people. Do you? I mean, we, 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 this is such a such a hot topic. Um, it's a big focus for businesses, uh, m much more so than it ever was. Is that what you're seeing, hearing, feeling ac across the business community, that people are under enormous stress more so than before? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think before the pandemic, um, we were facing a crisis in mental health. Um, and, and it's only gone in one direction during the last two years. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a number of longitudinal studies that are looking at the long-term impact of the pandemic on mental health and well-being. They all um, suggest that the numbers of people experiencing common mental health disorders like anxiety and depression have increased really significantly over the last two years. So there was already huge pressure upon business owners and business leaders pre-pandemic to do more around workplace mental health. Um, and the pandemic has, has really added to that very considerably. So I think for business owners and business leaders, the subject of workplace mental health has just really risen up the agenda. Um, you know, I think it was something that I think pre-pandemic, a lot of business owners were starting to realise that they needed to do more. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe it, it still felt like a, a sort of nice to do thing, you know, rather than something fundamental to every organisation and to all people in every organisation. And I think the thinking on that has, has, has really shifted now. I think there's a there's a you know, there's an absolute um understanding that this is something that should be sitting at the core of every organization now which which is brilliant and i suppose you know i, I speak to lots of business owners business leaders um i'm, I'm part of a vistage group myself full of, full of brilliant business leaders and the one question that we that i hear more and more often and, and i ask myself and you know i speak to my colleagues about is how do you create that culture of mental health and well-being in your business? And and I suppose, how do you spot that someone is feeling under pressure, particularly as, you know, for example, in our business, we all work remotely. Yeah. So, I mean, we do come together once a month, but that that would, and once a week we have a team call, but that, you know, it's not, it's not the same as being in front of someone all the time. So, and I think those are those are the fears of business leaders right now is how do I create a culture that encourages and promotes and supports people's mental health and well-being and how do I spot when someone's when someone's struggling? Yeah, so there's kind of two distinct questions there really. So you know how do you create a culture of psychological safety? first of all? Um, you know, we have to create the conditions in every workplace. It doesn't matter what sector, it doesn't matter what type of organisation or, you know, what it is that, that, that a business does. Any organisation that employs people absolutely has to prioritise creating a culture of psychological safety, first and foremost. And what that means is an environment where people feel safe to be able to speak about how they feel openly and honestly to know that that will be met without judgment to know that there are not going to be negative consequences if they open up and speak about mental ill health because that's one of the biggest fears you know it's one of the biggest barriers to people being open and honest about their experience and how they're feeling and what they might need is that fear well you know if i open up then are people going to judge me? Are people going to treat me differently? Is it going to have negative consequences for me in my career? And the answer should be, of course, it's not going to have a negative impact. But the reality is that even today, 
there's there's around 300,000 people a year in the UK lose their jobs because of mental ill health. You know, it's staggering that that is still happening even today. So it's a valid fear that people have. And, you know, it's not okay that that happens. Um, it shouldn't happen. It still happens all too often. And the problem is that when it does happen, those individuals that it happens to don't have the strength or the fortitude to fight back, you know? And, you know, if, if that happened in almost any other circumstance, if, if people were being discriminated against in almost any other context, they'd be fighting back, wouldn't they? They'd be bringing tribunals against organizations and all of those things. The problem is when that happens, when somebody's experiencing mental illness, they don't have the strength to do that. You know, they barely have the fight in them to get up and do what they need to do for themselves each day, never mind get into a fight over something like that. So people walk away, you know, um, and, it, and it's, it's still happening too often. So we've got to change that. You know, there has to be, a, there has to be an environment of psychological safety, first and foremost, where people know that they can open up, they can be honest, they can ask for help, and that that will be met without judgment and with kindness and compassion and that, the, you know, the people within the organization, um, whatever type of organization it is and whatever structure it is, um, whether it's, um, you know, a small family owned business or whether it's a larger business that's got formal HR structures in place and all of those things, they just need to know that, you know, whoever it is that's going to um, be able to support them, that's positioned to support them, is going to is going to do that. You know, is going to be there for them. Is going to provide the support that they need, um, and is going to create the conditions for them to be able to thrive and do well at work. So, you know, that's the first thing. And how do we do that? <laughs> you know, how do we do that? Well, it's been it's by by being honest, really, as as business leaders, and you know, taking an, a really honest look at you know, what, what's the lived culture within this business, really? You know, we all, there's a big difference between an aspirational culture and a lived culture. Um, and I think as business owners and leaders, we've got to be really honest with ourselves, you know, and take a really honest view as to what is going on within our organisations. We've got to make sure that people that are in leadership roles within any organisation have had some mental health training so that you know they can be instigating these conversations they can be equipped to spot the signs and they can ensure that they are doing their part to create a healthy workplace culture when it comes to mental health and well-being then the other part of your question around you know how do we how do we spot the signs how do we see um, when people are experiencing mental ill health it's a difficult one especially with so many organizations now working remotely or you know having some form of hybrid working model it, it's not as easy to spot the signs if you're not spending lots of time together in an office or in a whatever your work type of workplace is that you would normally be in um, i think you know if you're all together in a workplace then you can pick up on the um, energetic signals that people give off you can pick up on changes in appearance and you know just the way that a person is showing up you can pick up on those sorts of things much more easily when you're in a room together you know when you're in the same space I think when we're working remotely it's just a bit more challenging 
um, you know, people can hide behind a screen. You know, it's quite easy for people to um, put a bit of a face on, really, you know, for the duration of a Teams call or a Zoom call um, and then come off that call and then, you know, that's when they're left on their own. So I think we've just got to be more vigilant. I think we've got to be watching for any change in the way that a person shows up and that, you know, they, they might be quite subtle things. It could be changes in language, in email communications. It could be um, an individual being more or less responsive than they are, do, than, than they are normally. Um, it could be, you know, if we're, we're used to using all of these, you know, video conferencing platforms, Zoom and Teams and things like that, could be people avoiding putting their camera on, um, you know, not wanting to, to, to be on camera or participate, um, it, you know, in any kind of team discussion and things like that. It, it's just watching out for that sort of thing and being prepared to have a conversation about it. You know, yeah. I think a, a lot of the businesses that we're talking to, we are encouraging and they are saying that they are, um, they are putting wellness at the top of the agenda of, of all of their meetings. Um, so whether they're team meetings or whether they are one-to-ones that they're doing with individuals, they are putting that piece around well-being at the top. So, you know, the first question is always, you know, how are you? Are you okay? Are you really okay? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, not necessarily taking that stock answer of, I'm fine, I'm, fine. I'm okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's really, really helpful, Claire. And, you know, I think it's hard, I, I suppose, in today's world where you're, you're almost paralyzed sometimes with fear of saying the wrong thing. Mm. Um, you know, but I, I always believe it's about, it's about intention, it's about intentionality. And, you know, that you might, you might, if you're not trained, and you don't know the things to ask, you could very well go down a route that's not that's not helpful and it's just understanding mm. some of that really and, and how to ask the right questions of someone that you're concerned about I suppose yeah absolutely and you know there is lots of great training um you know as you know one of the one of the forms of training that we provide is mental health first aid training and you know that's a great training to equip people to be able to have those conversations to know the right questions to ask to know um how to respond if people do open up with challenges and you know all, all all those kinds of things but you know you made a great point you know fundamentally it's about intentionality it's about you know where is where is that coming from and you know i think provided we're all coming from a place of authenticity and you know genuinely caring about people you can't go that far wrong really you know, it's okay to be human. It's okay. It's okay for all of us to be human. And, you know, we won't always get it right. We might be a bit clumsy in the way that we approach things. And that it's okay. You know, I've had years of training in this stuff now. And I'll be clumsy sometimes. You know, I'll get it wrong sometimes. Or even someone will share something with me that is so shocking or so difficult that I won't know what to say I won't know how to respond immediately and and it's okay to say gosh I don't really know how to respond you know I don't um I don't really know what to say to that 
and I'm so grateful that you've opened up. I'm so thankful that you've trusted me enough to share what you just have with me. You know, we don't, we don't always need the answers. We don't always need a solution or something clever to say. I think if we are coming from that authenticity and compassion and genuine care, then that it, it will be received in that way. Yeah, and that's that's what it's all about. You know, we we were laughing the other day about forced fun. You know, this forced fun that we do, where it's like we must have a quiz night on Zoom, or <laughs> we have to make we have to have fun. And and you know, it's it's actually just as as a leader, you're 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 thinking about ways in which it's not always about the work, and you can just take some time out. Yeah. You know, we're we're doing a we were a birthday, we're two year two year birthday this month, and we're doing um a big volunteering day on Wednesday with a lot of our businesses that are local and it's a beach clean and it's like let's just have fun with it you know yeah. let's just chat be together be together yeah. with other people other businesses and um and let's see where that takes us and then Thursday we, we do a once a month our team meet and we've got an insight session um around personality profiling and how we communicate together and yeah. you know just just trying to just trying to think of things and ways that allow us to um, consider others, I suppose. Yeah, and and connect with each other as well. You know, I think that one of the big issues over the last couple of years is that we all of us have had fewer opportunities to connect with people, and you know, it's a fundamental need that we all have. You know, to experience feelings of connection with other people. And for those people that do experience or are prone to experiencing any sort of mental ill health, that feeling, you know, that kind of lack of human connection can, you know, that can really, um, it can really trigger those sort of feelings. It can really trigger those feelings of isolation and, and everything yeah. else that goes with it. So I think finding ways to communicate authentically I keep banging on about this authenticity because it's so important you know it's you know if everything that you're doing or anything that you're doing within your organizations if it comes from an authentic need an authentic desire to to help people and you know to create a good place for people to be you can't go that wrong you know but it's just yeah. about having that um that that genuine care isn't it about how people yeah. are and yeah. yeah that human 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 connection and and as you say being clumsy we're all clumsy at times so and and it's that given permission <laughs> to, to say that's okay isn't it yeah uh, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and listen what you know you're you're talking a lot about mental health in your job and you know you've you've been through you've been through what you've been through what do you do to to unwind what what do you do outside of work what, what what's your hobbies what 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 makes you have that feel-good fun factor Claire Oh, great question. Um, so doing the sort of work that I do, and then, you know, it also being a big part of the kind of volunteer work and, and stuff that I do as well. Um, it's really important for me that I have a, a proper kind of self care regime. Um, because otherwise, you know, it's, it's a lot of kind of giving and, you know, a lot of, um, you don't take on other people's issues um, necessarily, but you know if you're kind of having those sorts of conversations a lot and supporting people a lot, it can, um, you know, it can have an impact on your own mental health and well-being for sure. So, um, I am 
really I'm religious about my kind of self-care practice and about carving out the time that I need to do that um I've got a really busy family life I've got two teenagers and dogs and you know so it's it's a bit hectic and there's a lot going on in our house but but I just make sure that I carve out time for myself and uh, I have a sign that goes on my bedroom door um, so the only way for me to get any peace and quiet is to, is to lock myself in my bedroom or close myself away in my bedroom and quite often I'll just go and lie on my bed and stare at the ceiling for half an hour and it's just like having half an hour of peace and I put a sign on the bedroom door that says do not disturb unless you're bringing me tea and chocolate and the kids <laughs> will quite often come and there'll be a little knock on the door and they'll come in with a cup of tea and a nice bar of chocolate for me lovely lovely <laughs> love that so 22 years old first business you know your first brokerage i've obviously got a background in insurance sector so i, so I, I know a lot of the things that you're talking about particularly the socializing actually um, <laughs> and the client dinners um mm. but you know what does success mean to you claire because you've you've set up and sold a business you're you know you you've, you've been through you know difficult periods you're now running mental health and business really successfully and you're you've got you've got lots of work coming in and lots of recommendations which is brilliant but what, what does success mean to you oh gosh it, it's changed caroline it's changed a lot over the years you know if you'd have asked me that question in my mid-20s it would have been a very different answer to the one that i would give you now you know, I was very, very financially oriented when I was younger and I achieved a lot of success financially. Um, and I had all the trappings that went with that. And, you know, something that I think you learn and certainly I've learned as I've grown older is those are not the things that bring you happiness. And so now for me, success is about having it's about having a good balance in life, you know, about being able to have the time to do the things that I want to do you know I do work hard um, and and I I'm, I'm very fortunate to be doing work that I absolutely love um, and you know getting up and doing what I do every day makes me really happy and I get a huge amount of satisfaction doing it and I don't want to work every hour God sends you know I want there to be time for for me and for my family and I've got teenagers who are rapidly approaching adulthood, you know, and they're going to be off doing their own things. And um, I want to have quality time with them and do, you know, do nice things together. So it's, it's just about having balance, you know, it's about being in a position, which I am now, um, being in a position to choose what I do, you know, and to, to, to do um, work that feels truly aligned with my own values, to work with clients who are aligned with our values as an organisation. So we're quite, you know, we're quite selective about that. Um, yeah. And to be able to have that balance and to be able, you know, that people talk about work-life balance all the time, but, you know, it's, it's important. If you're going to maintain good mental health and well-being, then you've got to have that work-life balance you know yeah I we talk about it as like you know you just you've got one life really don't you you've got to fit yeah. work in it and you've got to fit that you know the family and the fun but it's one life that you need to try and mold into shape and I think post-pandemic it's 
it's much more important that that life is is has the different elements of it but but that you get that good balance of fun and connection and family time and holidays and all all that yeah. great stuff i'm sure the whole of britain's going to go on holiday in july and august this year yeah absolutely i've just booked my holiday for october um july and august are always really busy times business wise so um, I won't be having a big holiday then, but October, and I cannot wait. <laughs> I bet you can't. I bet you can't. And listen, what's next for you, Claire? What's what's? Tell me more about mental health and business, and your plans for the future. Oh wow! Um, I mean, we have enormous plans, Caroline. You know, we've um, there's a lot of incredible stuff have ha- has happened, um, despite the pandemic. Actually, you know. It was, an, it was interesting for us at the beginning of the pandemic because, um, like many organisations, we really did have, have to um, change the way we did things because pre-pandemic, everything we did was delivered in person. So obviously it all ground to a halt. And, you know, there was a bit of a hairy time there where we were, we were kind of wondering what we were going to do. But um, we are a much better business for it now. Um, and, and it's brought lots and lots of amazing opportunities so you know a lot's happened in the last two years Um, as we go forward from here um, we we're growing our team so we've just taken on a number of new consultants we're doing more and more work um, with organizations that are global so um, we're we're growing our sort of footprint outside of the UK Um, and we're going to be launching um, a new proposition into the education sector in the second half of this year so that's really exciting for us you know i'm i'm a mum of teenagers um one of whom has had horrific problems with mental ill health over the last two years so i've had a lot of experience of what it is to be a parent having to put my professional stuff to one side and just be a parent to her while she has been going through you know really horrific times with her own mental health and seeing you know what support is available to them um, and so that's made me um very driven to be a part of driving change um in terms of what is done for and around children and um, so that that's going to be a big part of our um plans going into the second half of this year and beyond amazing i think that's something that's very much needed um and actually one of one of my previous guests or the one of the guests that's coming up gavin oates has actually written a book for teenagers um oh. a fantastic book exactly about you know how to how to manage your how to manage your mm. life really in a really positive way so um I can give you a link to that as well. Oh, yes, but, please. Yes. Claire, listen, it's just, you know, every, I know you and I have, have met each other. We know each other about, you know, about 12 months now. And every time I speak to you, I'm always inspired and, um, and you know, just in awe, really, of what you've been through, what you're doing and how, how you cope and manage. So thanks for sharing some of that with us, because um, I think the openness and the vulnerability and as you as you say, the authentic self is is just so important. And I really like some yeah. of your messages about you know, psychological safety and just being yeah. human and it's okay to be clumsy. And um, I think for a lot of people that that that's good news because, you know, it is a worry. You do worry about seeing the wrong thing or, or what that might look like. But Claire, yeah. listen, I wish you every success in the future. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been a pleasure. I have loved it. Thank you very much.
There's some really great stuff there from Claire. Every time I speak to her, I've learned something new. And her point about aspirational culture not being the same as lived culture is maybe a bitter pill to swallow, but I think it's a really important one if you're genuine about creating that culture of safety. So be sure to check out Mental Health and Business. They've got brilliant offerings and they're great people. So I hope you like the episode and I'll see you next time.